0: Well, good morning, friends. We're in Colossians. In fact, let me turn back there. I was just reading in Titus. Um, getting a little head, so i got to go back to Colossians. So Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Grab your Bibles. I pray that you um, always have your Bible in front of you, or if you're listening uh, while you're driving, do not have your Bible in front of you in your notepad. That's for you, Jill. And Teresa, as you're driving down the road, just just listen. Don't write. Be um, Be careful. Um, I'm excited for um, this Colossians study, and I hope you're enjoying it. I, uh, As I say so many times, I get more out of it than you do, I know, because um, I enjoy just teaching the Scripture, and I enjoy being taught. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher, and so we ask Him to, uh, to bless you this morning. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, our memory verses are, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in Colossians 2, nine, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, which is really important for us to remember. I know I say that a lot. Really, really important for us to remember that Jesus was God in the flesh. And we're going to talk about that today as we get into Colossians, the last few verses of chapter 1. Beginning with 23, let's read, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. This is not talking about losing your salvation. This is uh, this is something that the Colossians would have understood. Remember, it was, um, I said yesterday, that this was an area that was shaken by earthquakes. In fact, in the third century, um, it was wiped out by an earthquake and has not been rebuilt. So he's talking about this shifting and the pressures that come against us. And he said, um, it's going to move us, but it's not gonna move us off our center, our true north, which is the scripture. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings, because this is how I respond when I suffer, (laughs) and not at all. Um, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, he says, my sufferings are for your sake, but they're in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. He's not saying that what Christ did, uh, didn't uh, wasn't enough. What he's saying is I'm doing my portion of the sufferings or the sufferings that God has allotted or planned for for me. And they are for on your behalf, but they are in my body of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. and he's talking to a bunch of Gentiles. How we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all this... Um, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we're going to try to get through uh, those verses today. We'll see how far we get. Um, so we're, we're, when, when he's talking about in uh, verse 23, this, this future glorification or this glory that's coming, he's talking about um, the return of Christ. He's talking about the fulfillment of what Christ will do in us. Now, remember, we're saved and we're being saved. And ultimately, we... We will be saved. Now, I told you I was in Titus this morning and hadn't turned back. Let's turn to Titus chapter two, and I want to look at verses eleven through fifteen. Titus chapter two. As the concrete trucks roll by in front of my house, they're pouring um, driveways today in three, three places across the street from us. So, chapter two of Titus, verse eleven. Titus is right after first and second Timothy. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. How has the grace of God appeared? Grace of God appeared. It appeared in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 and verse 14. This is is something we need to understand. The grace of God did did not appear through anyone else. It appeared through Jesus. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for because we haven't achieved it yet, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great, now underline this line, of our great God, excuse me, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Here, Paul talks about Jesus as being God. Appearing of the, glo- of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. It's together. In Romans chapter nine, verse five, you can write that down. In fact, let's go to Romans chapter nine, verse five as we're talking about God being Christ. They are one. Uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 5 says, To them belong the patriarchs, meaning to uh, the children uh, of of God, the chosen, uh, right? The, the, the Jews. And from their race, from the Jews, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God, overall blessed forever. Amen. People... You need to take people to this scripture when they say, well, Jesus was just a good man. No, wait a minute. Let's look at Romans chapter nine, verse five. Um, to them belong to the Jews, belong the patriarchs and from their race, from the Jews, because Jesus was a Jew, according to the flesh is the Christ who is God overall, blessed forever on men. Jesus is exactly who he said he is. He is God in human flesh. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, people think that good works save you. We are zealous for good works once we're saved. Works are, um, they flow out of salvation and they are truly a proof of salvation. Verse 15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. We are so Soft. We talk about snowflakes in this world, you know, talking about in a political sense, but we're snowflakes in a spiritual sense. We can't handle exhortation or rebuke. Let no one uh, disregard you. If you're standing and you're preaching and you're teaching the word and you're uh, talking to your kids and you're uh, telling them the word and the word, uh, the world is getting inside of them and it's and they're fighting back. Don't let them disregard you, meaning that you're not going to stop doing what God has called you to do, which is to declare the truths of God, to exhort to rebuke when necessary with all authority, not your authority only, but the authority of Christ, and let no one disregard you. We are to be preaching the word of God. We are to be teaching that there there is a God who's coming back for us. Now, um, the Gentiles, you and I, were on the outside looking in for the longest time until Christ came. We were without hope. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Remember that you were at that time when you were in just in the flesh and not living for Christ. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar so off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How were you brought near? You were brought near by Jesus Christ and by his blood. That's how we were brought near, by the sacrifice that he paid for you. Without God, needing to be reconciled to God, without hope, all of God's children will one day be with Christ in heaven, the scripture says. All of his children, not all of his creation. And so we need to understand that there's a difference between created and and um redeemed the difference between created and redeemed is the difference between being a child of god and being an enemy of god because when we are outside of the faith we are enemies of god we are not on the same page with god and what god is doing in his church should affect us and should drive us Uh, To reach those people who are outside the church because they are enemies of God. They were created by him, but they've chosen. In Romans chapter 1, it says they've chosen the creation to worship the creation over the creator. And all of us did the same thing. All of us who lived outside of a relationship with God. We're secure in Christ once we're in Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8. And verse thirty. In fact, our security is so secure um, in Christ, and Romans eight is famous for for this teaching. That Paul says at the end of Romans chapter eight and verse thirty, um, uh, uh, in the in the final verses here, he says, "And those whom he predestined, he also called; and those who he called, he also justified; and those whom he justified, he also glorified." meaning that the end result is already taken care of. It isn't here. We don't see it. We don't know exactly what it will look like. But when Christ returns, it will be revealed to you and I. But we're sealed. Ephesians tells us we're sealed with the Holy Spirit till the day of our redemption. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 19. Romans chapter 8. 17. Let's go 16 through 19. (laughs) I do this to you all the time. Sorry. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering is part of it. We, we don't understand what kind of suffering, we don't understand uh, uh, when it will be, what it will look like, but we give it to him. And Paul's about to go into suffering in verses 24 through 27, and he, and he talks about it as if it's natural. It's not, why me, why me? It's like, what God, what are you wanting to do in me and through me? Verse 18, one of my favorite verses. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy worth comparing with the glory that uh, is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the re- uh, revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom... Of the glory of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's coming a time when the completion of this of this salvation that was started in Jesus Christ will happen. But it's not yet. It, it's not yet. And so in the meantime, we understand that if Christ hasn't returned for us, then the work that we're to do isn't completed. That last Gentile hasn't been saved. There are people who who are, are still uh, on God's radar, and we don't know who's going to be saved. And so um, to know that God knows doesn't release us from the responsibility of going out into the world and sharing Jesus Christ. Um, Suffering for the Gentiles in the verses 24 through 27. Wiersbe says this, Paul's enemies made much of the fact that the great apostle was a prisoner of Rome. The false teachers in Colossae probably ridiculed Paul and used this as a weapon to fight the truth of the gospel. But Paul turned this weapon around as he did with other things and used it to defeat his enemies and to build a closer relationship with the church in Colossae. Instead of being ashamed of it, he said, I suffer for you. Remember, Paul was was a, a fierce hater of the church. Because he thought he was doing God a favor and God got a hold of his heart on the Damascus Road and changed him. Changed him so much that that Paul was able to pray uh, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Philippians 3.10, think about this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul was willing to say, I'm a totally changed man because of the power of Christ. No longer will I persecute the church, no longer will I persecute Christ, but I will I will, I will, will be willing to suffer for him. And in fact, I want to suffer for him so that I understand what he went through. So he rejoices in the suffering. That's not my first response when I'm suffering. I gotta tell you, I'm not that tough. I'm not that tough. I'm a why me guy at times. Why me, God? right? Instead of what are you trying to do in and through me? But I can tell you that on the other side of the sufferings that I have experienced, there are times when when I, I just I just went, okay, okay, that's what that was for. Look at Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five, verse 41. Acts five41 says this. Then they left the presence of the council, this is Peter, James and John, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be uh, to suffer dishonor for his name. This is this is incredibly amazing that they they walked away after suffering, just just saying, God, thank you that we were found worthy to be um, to be able to suffer for you now to suffer because you've done wrong is is not is not godly. But to suffer for doing what is right, um, we need to hold on to that and realize that that is a part of who we are in Christ. Turn to First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four, verses 15 and 16. First Peter four, uh, 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Wow, he's stuck meddling in there, which is like gossip, right? Yet (laughs) Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We can't run from suffering we don't run to it i mean if you if you read some of the book the books about the martyrs and the early christians they they longed to suffer for christ they felt if they weren't suffering then they they weren't um they weren't doing what what christ had called them to do meaning they weren't being bold enough and they weren't being strong enough they weren't being courageous enough and when they were being martyred they they many of them said i just it's just it, it pains me that I only have one life to give. When they were asked to, to renounce their faith, they said, if I had a, a million lives, I would have given them for him. There's a story of one who was singing uh, from, the, uh, from uh, the stake as he was being burned at the stake and he was singing at the top of his lungs and they told him to shut up and he sang louder and he sang louder and they told him to shut up and finally someone threw something and it hit him in the face and it split his cheek open so he had two openings and he said, now I have two openings with which to worship my Lord. That's being willing. That's being willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. Look at Matthew chapter five, verses 10 through 12. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. are you willing am I willing to be reviled to be talked poorly about um, to be persecuted there are there are things at work in our in our in our nation today which are going to to be ramped up and they're going to come against the church in a way that we haven't seen. It's not just going to be uh, whether they, uh, the church shuts down because of COVID. It's not going to be where they wear masks or not. That's not the suffering we're talking about. It's going to be way beyond that. And it's coming. But understand this, and it's, it's incredibly important that we understand this, none of our suffering, none of our suffering is on the level of what Jesus Christ has suffered for us. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Paul in in no way is saying that the sufferings that I have, verse 24 of Colossians 1, the sufferings that I have and I'm enduring and I will endure make up for what Christ didn't do. No, 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 that's not what he says. He said Christ suffered as only he could suffer. Now the sufferings that I have Are the sufferings that He called me to do. That's what that verse means, and the sufferings that you and you and I will experience are completely different than other people and what they will suffer. But suffering is coming. And some of you already have experienced much of this. Some of you have experienced maybe uh, separation from family for standing firm in the gospel. Some of you have separated uh, from people at work. Get that stuff away from me. I don't want to hear that. Stand firm. Don't be belligerent. But stand firm. And be willing to suffer for Christ. That's not a popular message today, I don't think. But we need to understand it's always been the message of the gospel, that those who live um, righteous lives in Christ Jesus, those who who preach his, his name, those who live that way will suffer persecution. It is coming. We haven't faced it like the rest of the world has faced it. But I think we will. Let me pray for us in Numbers chapter six, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. God bless you till we talk again.